Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 500, oh, excuse me, I'm <clears throat> sorry about that. Welcome to the 585th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me and other writers over at uh, Red Bull News Network, but as always, this show is dedicated to the game of American soccer nationwide. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like Mr. Scott Matchmaker Michaels continues on to pretend that he thinks he's the commissioner of a professional soccer league in the United States that is not playing. Uh, At the same time, he is determined to create a soccer league with no sanctioning from any members of official government bodies, meaning U.S. soccer, CONCACAF, and FIFA. In fact, he is putting up the biggest middle finger to all three governing bodies. And in reality, he is putting up a big middle finger in front of you, in front of me, in front of all of us. Because he thinks He thinks he knows plenty about starting up and creating a professional soccer league in this country. In a report or an article, once again, from his website called NSLofficial.com, Scott Michaels put up not only this post but also quoted that same post of what is going to happen when his National Soccer League does come or if it ever will come into existence in the United States. By not aligning with certain governing bodies in the sport The NSL can achieve greater independence and establish its own policies and regulations. This allows for the creation of transparent and just systems for player transfers and compensation without any concerns surrounding the agents of such governing bodies. Moreover, the NSL can avoid any issues related to litigation, corruption, mismanagement, player abuse, and equality by prioritizing the implementation of strong leadership, ethical standards, and policies that 
prioritize player safety, well-being, and equality. By doing so, the NSL can position itself as a leading entity within the sports industry. Laughable. Laughable. And then he quotes it as saying, as the founder of NSL, I am proud to lead an organization that prioritizes fair play and transparency. We believe in establishing our own policies and regulations that promote a just and equitable system for all players by avoiding affiliation with certain governing bodies. We are able to chart our own course and prioritize the safety and well-being of our players above all else. We are committed to creating a soccer league that not only provides top-notch entertainment, but also promotes ethical standards, strong leadership, and equality for all. The NSL is ready to take on the challenges of the sports industry and emerge as a leading entity that is committed to excellence in all areas. Now, here is the situation, once again, that he needs to understand here. And this is the situation that he is not understanding of what goes on here in North America, especially in the United States and Canada. In the four major sports in this country, as well as sharing with Canada, you have Major League Baseball, the National Football League, the National Hockey League, and the National Basketball Association. Outside the NFL, three of the four professional leagues not counting MLS here because I want to keep that separate for now, not counting Major League Soccer. Currently, we share these professional leagues with Canada and and the definition of these other professional leagues that are in North America, both Canada and the United States, are considered minor league. Now, what he does not understand here is the reason why you have two bodies of baseball leagues in this country is that Major League Baseball is the top division league and they are their own situation. There is no other office of American baseball or USA baseball that truly governs MLB or governs the sport officially throughout the entire country. Technically, they're there, but in reality, they're not because they have no say in what Major League Baseball does. And when you have Minor League Baseball, what is their goal, Minor League Baseball? Yes, it is to play professional games, but their goal is development of the players that were drafted by these professional teams in the major leagues. Unlike what happens in England, where it does not matter about development because all the leagues are professional and the only way they become part of the Premier League is if they get promoted through sporting merit like you know, like I do. The same goes for the National Hockey League because the American Hockey League is the AAA league, not Division II, AAA. And the East Coast Hockey League or the ECHL is considered AA 
with Major League, with baseball, it is the same thing. Same thing with the NBA. You have the NBA as the top league, and you have the NBDL, the National Basketball Development League. Those players an opportunity to craft their game, to hone their game in a league below the major league level where it's extremely harder. The same thing goes with promotion relegation. If you do get promoted to the Premier League from the championship, that's it. Because that's why we have academy clubs or academy systems throughout professional football, professional soccer across the globe. If he thinks that his National Soccer League is going to come in and trump Major League Soccer and take over, and he does not need the blessing of the U.S. Soccer Federation, he is sadly mistaken. Scott Michaels is sadly mistaken that he thinks he can just waltz in here to our country and ignore the U.S. Soccer Federation, who is the governing body of this sport in this country. Like the Canadian Soccer Association is the governing body of the sport in Canada, the FMF is to Mexico. Because the truth of the matter is this. He knows he could never get away with this in England. He knows that if he ever created a separate breakaway league in England with no promotion relegation, they would turn on him just as quickly as all the football fans and every English fan of the game turned on the Super League idea. He wants to do it here because he knows he could probably get away with it. What he needs to understand is What will happen is if he does come in here and tries to challenge MLS, it's not just lawsuits. It's going to be a strike, major strike against him from us, the fans who love the game. Because what we have been begging for and hoping for is for promotion relegation to happen. Not just within USL, but with MLS as part of USL and part of NISA and NPSL and so on and so on. If he is going to try and stake a claim because he thinks his National Soccer League, which by the way, we do have a National Soccer League. It's an amateur league once again within the umbrella and sanctioned by U.S. soccer as an amateur league across the country in several markets, in several regions. He has another thing coming. He does not understand. He is ignoring the American soccer market. He is not knowledgeable enough to know what the hell is going on within our nation, period. He is not knowledgeable about what is going on down here. He has blocked myself. He has blocked many other podcasters and bloggers on Twitter. He thinks 
He knows more than we do. Not every Englishman is like this, but there are those that are arrogant enough and and ignorant enough to still scoff at us. And yet, in three World Cup group stage matches, England has not beaten the United States in a World Cup. That's why we are a win, two draws, and no losses against the three Lions, against the mighty English, against the creators of this game. They cannot beat us until that time comes. For now, the English cannot beat us in a World Cup. You can't beat us. And for those of you that assume that you can just plop in and create a brand new league with no sanctioning from U.S. soccer, no help from CONCACAF, and you're going to stick the biggest middle finger in front of FIFA, you are mistaken and you have another thing coming, Scott Michaels. You are acting like a renegade. You're trying to change the laws of the game and you're trying to change football, soccer in this country for the wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons. You want to be influential here? Do yourself a favor then. Why don't you come over here and create a club? Whether it be in Major League Soccer or in any of the leagues in the USL or even in NISA. Find a market that wants a professional club and start it from scratch. Don't insult our intelligence by coming in here and assuming you can just build a league on your own without any help and without any sanctioning. Because you know what's going to happen. Those players will not be eligible to play for their national teams. But no. No, Scott Michaels. You want to act like you think you know more than we do. Do us a favor. End it now. Just create a, a, a T-shirt brand and, and sell uh, nostalgic soccer clubs that were done in the NASL back in the day. Just create shirts. Don't create a league. Do us a favor. Walk away. Stand down. And just stay there in, in England and just be there. Because we don't need frauds and we don't need someone like you to pull the wool over our eyes and fake us out. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's been my introduction monologue and I hope you enjoyed that. And now it's time to talk about the the moment in hand. Tonight, we are here to talk about the changes that have happened in the United Soccer Leagues as Jake Edwards has stepped down as USL president and coming in to USL is Mr. Paul McDonough. Joining me to discuss this from Pittsburgh Soccer now, we have uh, John Krasinski, and also joining me is Ray Silva, as he is a uh, podcaster for uh, the club that he follows down at the Rio Grande Valley Toros, and he is uh, Pro Sports RGV. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. As it was important to have uh, you guys on to talk about, of course, your clubs being involved in the United Soccer Leagues and the Championship League. And, John, I'll go with you first. 
you know, when, when Jake Edwards took over as president of the USL, I think you can definitely say uh, when, when Papadakis was no longer running this league, and I know he ran it as well as he could, the best that he could, um, that at the time it was USISL, of course. Um, there have been some ebbs and flows, obviously, uh, throughout the leagues when it was uh, D3 and uh, PDL. And when Jake Edwards took over, I think he righted the ship and has been such a major influence in making the United Soccer League stronger and better throughout its entire history so far. What would you say about that, John? Oh, yeah. How you doing tonight? But, yeah, it's um, it's good to good to talk about the growth because, you know, you just look at – we. it's been eight years since the Riverhounds, who I cover uh, regularly, obviously, uh, have been played an MLS team at home at um, Stadium, and they're going to be doing that on Wednesday. But that was eight years ago, and that was 2015. And, and, and even then, the, the USL, that was such a landmark season. That there, there was it. It went basically from 2014 to 2015. It went from what an eight-team league that had you know Dayton Dutch Line. No, no offense. No, you know, all due respect to Dayton Dutch Lions and Antigua Barbuda and some of the teams that were in the original USL Pro that didn't last. But then to expand as ambitiously as they did. Uh, in 2015, I, I, I felt like I covered the Riverhounds for, you know, a number of years heading into that 2015 season. And I, I, I was blown away by the, they, they basically doubled the size of the league or even more so in that one year. And I thought it was way too ambitious, but they kind of, it kind of worked out. I mean, if you look back now, it really worked out. Yeah. Like you said, there were a lot of ebbs and flows during those years there was you know there was some franchise experiments that didn't work and things that you know some things didn't always work but if you look at where they you know where usl champ usl pro then usl and then usl championship where it has gone where it is you know in in, especially in jake's eight years you know that it's just remarkable and yeah i'm sorry john keep going i'm sorry yeah, no, I, it's just a remarkable, um, you know, it, it's just remarkable that to the point where now, you know, Edwards left or even last year was talking a lot about USL championship and their leagues, really the third, you know, being in the big three, if you will, in the in North American and CONCACAF soccer, uh, it being kind of in that discussion and, and, and having an automatic bid to, uh, the Champions League and things like that. So, no, they, I would never have imagined that conversation eight years ago at all. You know, so um, there's just there's a structure, there's professionalism that's grown. You know, where they have over 100 employees now at the, in the organization. They they've they've come they've they've come leaps and bounds from where they were uh, for sure. It's it's you know, and it's the level of opponents and now taking the MLS you know, affiliated teams out of the equation and bringing and making even a, an organization like Loudoun will now have to be an independent club. And we've even seen some strides that that club has made in, in early this season, I think as an independent club versus 
where they, uh, you know, when they were an MLS affiliate of DC United. And I was doing some research before this Hounds game, and in the 10-year history, or I'm sorry, the 11-year history of the Hounds and Highmark Stadium, they have only had three losing seasons. And guess when those three losing seasons took place? Ironically, when they were affiliated with an MLS club. <laughs> so, you know, I think that's something – I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that letting the clubs be strong, independent clubs on their own, and, and you know, obviously the U.S., the one big thing that Jake Edwards did, I think he wanted to ensure that almost every club had a soccer, some sort, it, it, there, were, there were minimum standards that they had to reach. They needed to be in that D2 level, and when things got messy with NASL, they, they put those standards in, you know, U.S. soccer. They were U.S. soccer standards, but they they would not budge. You know, you had to go up to a 5,000-seat stadium. You know, then the Hounds had to do that. They went from 3,500 to 5,000 minimum. Uh, there things like that, uh, those standards um, across the board, there were a lot of little things, too, that organizationally that, that, that Edwards and the USL Championship wanted to, each organization to – to really strive for and set high standards. And that that came across, you know, over the past eight years. So, yeah, there's still some teams, you know, cough, cough, <clears throat> that still play in fields and things like that. But, but it, it's still come a long, long way. It really has. And, Ray, I wanted to go to you, and it's a great segue, a great segue <laughs> what John just said. You know, Rio Grande Valley was originally – the USL affiliate to the Houston Dynamo. And then when the Dynamo broke away from Rio Grande Valley, there remained, you have HEB Park and a great location. I know it's, you're very, very southeast of Tex in Texas, but still though, you know, the, the draw that I'm assuming that they've been getting in that area in Edinburgh and the surrounding areas of the town, um, the Toros have been a staple of that community in that area. Yeah, thanks for having me on, first of all. And, and, and yes, I mean, it's been a, a very good uh, segue that you bring up with the Dynamo uh, Toros uh, relationship because uh, that was an all Dynamo thing, which they controlled like all the uh, operations of the of the team. Now, fr- uh, Toros front office wise, uh, their only job was to kind of sell the tickets. Whereas now, Toros have that full responsibility of uh, of having to do everything from bringing in players, bringing in a sporting director, head coach, a scouting director, uh, assistant coaches, and now having to do everything on uh, I, I guess on an independent level now. It, for for RGBFC to continue growing, that they've taken like all the right steps to continue to uh, grow and make sure that the market uh, continues to thrive to what it is uh, today. And and despite that, they're not having uh, they're having the the worst start to their home schedule. They have found ways to bring in full into the seats and and keep the level of growth. Uh, where it is now as to where it was then, where everything was controlled by the Dynamo except for the selling of the tickets and advertisement uh, items that include to running a soccer club. 
Mm -hmm. No, very true. Very, very true. And that's the one thing that I'm happy about. And I mean, I think both of you know as well as I do in this country, when you have minor league sports or at least these minor league teams in three of the other four professional sports leagues outside of the NFL, of course, um, and we'll see what happens with these other you know, spring football league seasons, whatever they're going to be with uh, XFL and USFL. But, you know, Major League Baseball, the National Hockey League, the NBA, they've been successful separating what's major league and what's minor league here. And this is where I think Jake Edwards really came in strong here, John, is like you just said, no more affiliation with MLS, no more using these great historic clubs that have been around longer than MLS teams. Uh, to be used as a minor league uh, development club because that's why they created those two teams and now they're doing their own thing with MLS uh, Next Pro, which is really, you know, a reserve league. But, you know, for Jake Edwards to come in, like you just said, to have all these clubs stand on their head and being viable and profitable has been a stroke of genius. Oh yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's really it, you know, and you know, there's some clubs like the Riverhounds. It's interesting how all this happened around the same time when Jake took over the Riverhounds were faced, you know, had to declare bankruptcy in 2014. And also ironically, you know, we're talking about Houston Dynamo. The first of those affiliations with they had was with Houston, which was, you know, strange in the fact that the, ge- the geography of it, but, Hey, that's what happened. That was what was set up. You know, the Hounds, uh, Pittsburgh and Houston had a, a one-year affiliation, and you know, again, it it was sort of like everyone was just trying to survive. You know, even the MLS clubs were trying to figure out ways to to have developmental opportunities for their players, like really good, worthwhile developmental opportunities. But like you said, I think they were. It was like, well, they were using these some clubs like you know, Charleston or Pittsburgh to, to, yeah, for those, for those younger players or guys that just needed more, more playing time. But uh, it's, yeah. Then 2014, you know, 15 happens and, and, and owner Tuffy Schallenberger in Pittsburgh becomes the outright owner, the hounds out of a financial mess, but the USL stood by them. You know, they, you know, I don't think there was, I don't know how, you know, how that worked in terms of the, you know, but they stood by one of their longstanding franchises in, you know, the second and third division in American soccer and how, you know, they got through it. Um, that bankruptcy was in large part due to cost overruns from a, a brand new soccer specific stadium that was being talked about as one of the jewels in, you know, in the, in, in American soccer, at least as far as the sight lines. And, you know, it, it had a buzz for a year or two, but the cost overruns eventually caught up to them. And, but, that, but that being said, you know, I think that the USL were, were committed to having – you know, Jake talked about this – having, you know, stable ownership as much as possible at that level and work with those owners and teach those owners and, and help those owners build successful clubs. I don't think Tuffy Schallenberger, uh, you know, I have, it's interesting. I, I would love to have this conversation with Tuffy, uh, and I have with some Riverhounds officials, you know, in terms of what the USL uh, championship and the organization has provided them 
the support, the resources, the, you know, the guidance in terms of what they want. Um, we talked, I mentioned earlier, the higher standards, you know, but in terms of that business model and making sure that they are, uh, you know, staying afloat and all those different things, I mean, it's m- incredibly challenging. But, you know, it, 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 now we look back eight years later, at least for the Riverhounds, you know, there's a, there's a whole new training complex that's, that's been built that the team is, the pro team is using, but the academy is, I mean, it's the training complex that most, a lot of MLS clubs don't even have. Um, so, you know, I mean, obviously Tuffy Schellenberg's investment is a, is a construction, you know, owns a construction business and, you know, he has contacts along those lines and, you know, and, and the community, Pittsburgh community and the sponsorship uh, with Allegheny Health Network and those type of things, all of those things, I think the USL was certainly there standing by their side and, and there if they needed them whenever, you know, if there was a big meeting or something uh, in terms of securing, um, you know, whatever it was that they needed support from. So, yeah, I think that's, that's the impact is that from the business side of it, uh, they, they've really helped these organizations grow and maintain stability while some of the other organizations that couldn't meet those standards just moved on. But the other good thing that the USL did was they, they, they saw a way out for some of those other clubs. They saw a way out for the clubs that would end up in league one, you know, for example, Richmond, you know, it was, it would be terrible to see. It's a shame, you know, Harrisburg was the one real true casualty, maybe one of the casualties and, and, and of course, Rochester, those are real casualties in all of this that, you know, there was, they had great traditional um, franchises that did some really special things and had built some soccer community and fan support that doesn't exist right now in those areas. And USL, you know, but th- there was a way out for them. They, you know, the, the League One was a was a was not a was a valid way out. Um, and you know, obviously Rochester took it. I'm sorry, uh, Richmond took it. Rochester and Harrisburgers to this day are still struggling to get out of it. So, so there might be some people upset about that, and maybe USL Championship was unforgiving. Um, but, but I think the bigger picture is the the franchises that survived. You know, bigger markets. You know, they—they—that's they, the other thing. So all those markets, right? That kind of were, you know, in many cases have major um, sports franchises in the NBA and the NHL and 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 Major League Baseball and the NFL. That you know, the Pittsburghs, the San Antonios, those type of markets. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. Those markets, the USL did really well in things. Uh, you know, franchises. And in some of those markets, they found gems. They found Cincinnati. Like, to, you know, that came out of nowhere. I'm sorry, I'm rambling and going on and on. But, you know, that's the kind of thing that, that they, you know, they, the USL built those relationships and, and developed these franchises that, you know, some of them are in MLS now. It's gotten taken away from the USL. But, but they, they saw that. They saw the promise, and it's where they – those franchises started, you know, Nashville and, and Cincinnati, Sacramento. I mean, obviously, you know, it's just, it's been a, a gem, you know? So these are like, you know, they have other pro sports teams uh, you know, at the top level, but they found soccer audiences as well. 
No, they really did. And Ray, I, you know, just to go and talk about Texas, of course, I mean, we remember, of course, the Austin Aztecs uh, before they moved to Orlando to, and they were still in USL before moving to MLS. And then, of course, I remember the El Paso Patriots back in the day. And now you have not just your club in Rio Grande Valley, but you also got rivals in San Antonio FC. You now have El Paso Locomotive. And I mean, it, to me, if, if, you know, we talk about those clubs that were, you know, part of the old guard that have been remained strong, of course, like John said, we're missing Harrisburg and Rochester. But still, though, I think with Jake Edwards coming in, I mean, he made it viable for Texas not just to worry about, you know, bringing in clubs for MLS in the state, but also USL championship and even the smaller clubs in League Two that have been thriving in the state of Texas as well. Absolutely. You know, uh, Texas has been a, what you known as a hotbed for soccer. I mean, if you want to even take it a step lower uh, in, in the college ranks as well, where SMU out of Dallas, Texas, they were like the uh, premier soccer program, and then came along Incarnate Word of San Antonio, Houston Baptist, and then, of course, uh, UTRGV founding its own uh, soccer men's soccer program as well. But now when you take it up to the professional level uh, with RGVFC, uh, which also came in with San Antonio FC at the same time. And then a couple of years later, uh, El Paso Locomotive came in, and and they've been established themselves as a nice uh, soccer club out there in, in western Texas where it has built up some nice rivalries where you have the South Texas uh, Derby, and then you have the Texas Border Derbies between El Paso and Rio Grande Valley, uh, two bo- uh, border areas uh, that have a, a nice connectivity that the USL has been able to grow and keep at a stable uh, rate despite the troubles that El Paso uh, plays very games exclusively out of a baseball park and San Antonio FC, an old NASL uh, factor uh, or an old NASL club which joined the USL ranks right when RGVFC did, uh, because they kind of knew something was going on uh, back then with the NASL. And, and now you've got Texas, which is a real viable market, uh, now that you have your two ma- your three major league clubs, which is Dallas and then Houston, and then Austin, which over the Austin Bold uh, area, which the, they were fighting for rights, uh, for the territorial rights back then and which Precourt ended up uh, doing his show uh, out of Columbus to move here to Austin, Texas, and now MLS has three clubs. USL Championship has three clubs. Uh, USL League One had had their club here in Texas, and now that's moved to MLS Next Row. And then you even have a handful of USL League Two clubs, and one of those clubs is, is looking to eventually one day move up that ladder and go and go pro and join a league one at some point at uh, in the near future too. Very true. Um, John, I want to go to you first and then I want Ray's comment on uh, this as well. You know, John, I have always said that 
if we are going to make sure that all of our leagues on the professional levels, not just in Major League Soccer, but in USL as well, both Championship, League One, and even if it is able to have it in League Two, so be it. That's fine by me. I hope it does. That we need stadiums to make sure that we don't lose any more clubs to financial issues, scheduling problems. You know, I mean, I know Nevada. Uh, when Reno was in the league, you know, that was owned by the owner of the Indiana Pacers, who he owns the minor league baseball team. So he also owned the soccer, but then he gave it up. I understand there were some issues going on over there as well. But with the amount of clubs that we have lost in USL, I mean, the truth is stadiums are very important for all leagues not to be viable financially, but to be finance, you know, uh, viable, uh, visionary-wise, because it's nice to use whatever's available. But the truth is, aren't we getting sick and tired of the NFL football grid lines when we get to August through October? Aren't we? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's always a running gag with all of you know a lot of soccer writers, and you know we cover, in at least in our region, you know we spend a lot of time covering. You know, the other, the, the scholastic, the, you know, games, the high schools, especially high schools, it's, it's always going to be hard to overcome that because of, you know, just soccer being where, where it kind of falls in the order of everything. But, but yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, it's, 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 but that, again, that's Jake Edwards' legacy, right? Like, you know, even though, you know, the, the Steel Army, the Hound Supporters Group, every time they're playing a, a team that has something, you know, football lines or on a baseball field, or, you know, they always like to have fun with that But um, and call the USL second, you know, whatever jokes about the league. But but the truth is, you know, there's some, somewhere in the middle there. You know, I think that, the, that, the, that the, Edwards realized how important the stadium, you know, the soccer-specific uh, or – if yeah, just the conversion to soccer um, specific stadiums was you know and and I what was it I thought I saw the number was like thirty one out of thirty eight um, current team of the League One and USL Championship teams have some sort of it's either they own or they have the stadiums outright or they are soccer specific so you know that's a positive compared again compared to. <laughs> 2014 when the Dayton Dutch Lions were playing on a high school field and in 2012 when the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, you know, one of the big markets in the, you know, what are we in the top 30 at least in the country and we didn't have, we didn't even have a soccer specific um, facility, not, not to mention a stadium where the Hounds could play. They were playing at Bethel Park State, you know, high school, and then they were playing at Chartiers Valley High School for many years. I mean, that's where we were. That's, you know, that's that's what Jake Edwards, you know, probably, and he, you know, he grew up in the States. He knew the, he knew what was at stake, but he had that, he knew he had that sense of, of what it was like over in England, and he knew that, you know, that soccer in the United States needed to just to, to change. 
And it had to be incremental, and it still continues to be. You can see there's not one thing that you can do in eight years, snap your fingers, and just be all turned overnight. I mean, I would love to see where we are eight years from now. You know, I'm sure there will still be some struggles, and there's still going to be some communities that are going to, you know, it's going to be a struggle to support. Um, But I I think, again, we have come so far uh, since in those eight years, and I think that, that, that the stadium piece is, is the biggest piece of it, uh, no doubt. And it's what gave the Riverhounds the lifeline, even though they, they almost, it almost cost them, too, at the same time. Very true. And, you know, Ray, I was a long time ago, maybe a couple of years ago, I entertained uh, several bloggers and podcasters, uh, your friend and mine, Edson Ochoa, who also does Down the Valley podcast, uh, if one day U.S. soccer ever hosts or FIFA ever grants an under-20 World Cup to the United States, and where would we put the entire tournament in the States? Obviously, it would be maybe several areas, but I said right off the bat, put it in the state of Texas, not just because you have FC Dallas at Frisco or Houston, downtown Houston, now the Q2 in Austin, but obviously HEB Park in Edinburgh, uh, San Antonio's stadium as well, hopefully maybe El Paso, and maybe you can work with the, uh, the El Paso, I think they're called the Chihuahuas in AAA in the Pacific Coast League, uh, have them play some road games when there is uh, uh, the under-20s going on, and I would th- think that you wouldn't have to worry too much about time zone issues because everything would be in Texas, and you know as well as I do that that would be perfect for stadiums for yeah. having the MLS and the USL stadiums being an under-20 uh, hub for that tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, going back to uh, uh, your your other gentleman's point, you know, long long before the USL was established as the D2 league, RGBSC started playing at their games uh, when their franchise kicked off at UTRGV uh, Soccer Track and Field Complex. Uh, about like a little more than 50% of their home games were played at that UTRGV uh, complex, the soccer track and field complex. And that, and that stadium itself, like with all the uh, seating around the stadium, it, it held about two to 3,000 people with all the seats uh, possibly taken. And then right when it moved to the practice facility, uh, right before the uh, – the finishing of the construction of HB Park, uh, that was also a two to three thousand uh, seat capacity stadium. Right before USL went full throttle with the D two uh, requirements of five thousand seat stadium, so I understand where uh, Riverhounds were coming from, and RGVFC saw itself in a similar footing. Um, now, with regards to your question about holding a U twenty. Uh, event HB Park uh, has been no stranger to hosting international events as it held a uh, CONCACAF uh, Champions League. It's held a CONCACAF Women's uh, Olympic Qualifier before. It's held a uh, World Cup Qualifier before as well, where it uh, hosted Canada, Mexico, Jamaica, and St. Kitts and Nevis, if memory serves me correct, for the 
uh, Olympic qualifier or World Cup. I can't remember which of the two tournaments. But, yes, I, I do agree. Well, when it comes to the time zone, El Paso has the mountain time zone while the rest of Texas sits in the central time zone. So time zones wouldn't be that much of a difference except for that one hour where El Paso sits. But, yes, I, I do kind of agree that there can be a lot of uh, – a, a, a nice U20, at least a qualifier, or, or even a World Cup, as you said. I mean, it, it, they do bring it, it. The areas you mentioned, they do have uh, nice hubs where they can practice at. There's auxiliary practice fields or auxiliary auxiliary areas within the city where all these teams can go out and practice uh, prior to their games uh, being played uh, for for such a event. You know. As, the world, the U twenty World Cup is going on right now. Well, gentlemen, now we've given uh, Jake Edwards a lot of praise for his work of uh, writing and uh, improving the United Soccer Leagues, and obviously he lives a, he leaves a great legacy uh, with the USL moving forward. Now we move on to the brand new uh, president and. Uh, Chief Operating Officer, excuse me, the Chief Soccer Officer, excuse me, and Mr. Paul McDonough. What are your concerns about Paul, and uh, or what what positives do you think you're going to have with Paul now taking over for Jake Edwards? And John will go with you first, and then we'll go with uh, Ray. Did we lose John? I guess we must have uh, lost John. We'll, we'll try and get him back. But, Ray, if you want to give me your thoughts, please do. Uh, sure, of course. I'll, I'll take lead off on this topic. I, I guess for the new incoming guy is how will he get those clubs currently in USL Championship that are playing in baseball stadiums, a, a feasibility plan, a – a structured plan to move out of the current baseball stadium and build um, the 5,000-seat requirements that U.S. soccer requires. Uh, What kind of a plan are you going to have in structure uh, for them? And what kind of uh, timelines are you going to give those clubs to specifically find a, a soccer purpose stadium for uh, that would be one of the burning questions that I do have for for the incoming guy. And two, how how fast can you try to make the USL championship uh, get a little bit more internationally structured? How well can you uh, how can you get us uh, more eyeballs to see this league? I know it, it has. A one more. It has this current season under ESPN Plus, uh, but uh, how can you uh, structure your league where you can get more eyeballs to the product that it's presenting right now? I, I guess those are the two biggest topics for the new guy that's going to be walking in. Because personally, my, myself, I don't agree that soccer teams should be playing in in baseball stadiums. Now, the football ball line thing, uh, while it's not an issue here at RGBFC, 
it could potentially become an issue once UTRGV football gets their football program running off the ground in the next two years or so. That's kind of the target date uh, right now for UTRGV football to get its uh, program off the ground. And everything points to HEB Park hosting those games for as the moment spares. Uh, nothing has been official, but that's where everything indicates that HEB Park will be hosting these collegiate football games. And that's where you kind of see the, the quote-unquote football lines into soccer stadiums become a little bit of an issue. I, I guess that's kind of like uh, my ordeal. And how do you keep these teams uh, viable also in the transfer market? Because under Edwards, uh, just to br- uh, put the, uh, a last touch on that, uh, Edwards had a lot of uh, had to deal with how the teams uh, sold players uh, into the overseas, uh, into Europe and whatnot. So how does this guy keep the momentum going that Edwards leaves behind? And I guess those are the two burning topics. A, the baseball stadium issues, and and B, how do you get more eyeballs to look at your league? If we have John back here. John, are you there? Yeah, yeah I'm here. Okay, Sorry. good. Uh, all right. I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Paul McDonough now taking over for Jake Edwards. What are some of the positives you think this is? What do you think maybe there's some negatives? What are you aware of with, with Paul McDonough taking over now? And uh, your thoughts, please. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about next level, right? So we just, saw, we just talked a lot about, you know, where this league has come in eight years, you know, as your other guest said, I mean, there's, there's those two, I think those two, you're absolutely right. Those two other key, key areas is how do you get more eyeballs? Uh, we, we've talked about that fact that the, the league itself has kind of gotten, it, 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 you know, it continues to struggle in the American view, the average American sports fans viewpoint of it being minor league soccer. And I, you know, again, I think all, I think it's, the entire incremental growth of the game will continue to knock those barriers down. Uh, it's hard because this is a country where the sporting landscape professionally comes from base, baseball, with, you know, in, in the minor league baseball culture that exists. Uh, it, it's hard to overcome that. And I think people just see a second division soccer franchise and they just, that's the, probably the biggest stigma that the Riverhounds have, Penguins and you got the Pirates. And these are long, long standing franchises, especially the Pirates and the Steelers, culturally that go back so many generations. You you just can't, you know, break that mold with a lot of people in terms of their interests in this area. So the Riverhounds have had to be, you know, but they need more moments like they're going to have this week by posting an MLS team at home and getting the, um, you know, the, the city excited. So what the league needs to do, I think, you know, they talk about going to the next level and really position itself as a premier, the USL championship being the highest tier in there, you know, talk about potential. You know, Edwards talked about pro promotion relegation. Um, I'm, I'm always kind of on both sides of the fence on it. It, it, It's the problem. I don't really want to turn this into a pro rel discussion, but it'll be interesting to see 
what McDonough does in terms of that whole discussion point and where the USL goes with it, with their two established leagues. Um, and, you know, we haven't talked about the women's side and the growth. And this, this is definitely um, a very exciting point because stabilities are endless. You know, they, they announced their, all the different women's, uh, the different organizations that will have women's teams in 2024. Um, and, you know, Pittsburgh wasn't one of them. But it's a market that I think is hungry for any female women's. You know, we don't have a WNBA team. We don't have any. I mean, we have collegiate, you know, pit women's soccer, maybe pit women's basketball and Duquesne basketball. You know, there's not, there isn't that real true women's franchise. And I think there's a place for soccer to grow in this there in this market. I think women's soccer, uh, it's it's pretty well received at the high school and college level here, but not. I mean, if I have a pro team, I think would would do wonders here. So I think that the structure that they're putting in place for their upper league, maybe to develop a pro well on the men's side, but then expanding where there's, you know, the female sports market, which is, you know, we've seen explode over the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, in some pockets of the country um, and in certain things, you know, in the women's professional soccer league, um, you know, the WNBA has sort of kind of been around long enough, the financial backing of the NBA. But but I'm really curious to see where sec- second division soccer goes because it's really needed. I, I think there's, a, there's, an, there's an audience for it. There is also a lot of really, really good players. I mean, we are the best women's soccer nation in the world, uh, and we will continue to be. But to have – that extra layer. I mean, we still have, we are still sending our best, many, not all, but many of our best women's soccer players overseas. You know, why not? I think that's something that needs to change. Uh, I think that, and having a deeper, more uh, developed professional leagues beyond just the one top division, there's nothing. There was for nothing for years below, um, you know, the NWSL. So I, I think this is opportunity knocks. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I know it's tougher in terms of driving revenues and things of that nature for women's soccer. Uh, that's always been a challenge. But, but again, I think that the, it's an untapped market, uh, and I really do. I think that it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Uh, but, yeah, those are two primary areas I, I see that, um, you know, that he can do. And, you know, like you said, he's, you know, he, he was there at Orlando City when they were – that USL club that everybody was talking about, right? That became yep. a LS club, you know, that kind of thing. So um, and he was there in Atlanta. He he was around where, you know, that I never in a million years would have thought that we would have seen 75, you know, 70 some thousand people, um, you know, in, in watching MLS matches in Atlanta. I, I just didn't see it happening. It's the same state where the, 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 you know, we have the the SEC doesn't even have men's soccer programs. <laughs> so, so huh. uh, I mean, it's 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 remarkable where we're going in this country with soccer. I think that's um, that's what this McDonough needs to do. He needs to just keep building off of what they've already created. Yeah, and my hope actually uh, is this, guys, is that my hope is with USL, uh, hopefully remaining in the trajectory going upwards. 
that we would see maybe more of a, an expansion in the capacity for both your stadiums, obviously, you know, for uh, Highmark Stadium in Pittsburgh, just along uh, the Allegheny, and, of course, more uh, seats being added to uh, HEB Park, and that would be the positive there because my hope is this, is that McDonough will continue to bring more positives like what Jake Edwards did, if not remain on the same trajectory, maybe the hope is make it higher. I know there's been some negative uh, reports from him, especially from my colleague Carter Krishnar during the salary cap situation when McDonough was with Orlando City and, of course, the situation, of course, with the um, discovery claimant uh, with Kansas City when they brought over Dom Dwyer. To Orlando, as well as DC United's discovery uh, claim for Antonio uh, Nocierno. Uh, but honestly, I hope, uh, Ray, that and John as well, that uh, Paul has learned from those mistakes and that he's able to trudge forward and get this situation with USL into a better position, Not, whether it be the same as Edwards did or higher. That's the main goal here, Ray. I think. Personally, he uh, first of all is to first keep the stability where it's at. I, I think that would have to be your year one plan with 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 this new incoming guy. Have the stability that it's ha- that it has built as of the Edwards as a legacy. And then the second thing that I would like to see him approach is those clubs with uh, baseball stadiums try to. You know, weed them out and 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 make them explore possibilities into soccer, feasible, uh, soccer specific stadiums. I know you, New Mexico United, uh, tried that out. The voters uh, rejected that uh, piece. Now they kind of have to go to Plan B. And now you also bring up the women's soccer plan. Uh, what what kind of check boxes do you want to check off in year one for that? And how do you want to uh, grow that in the short term and long term future, and and then of course eyeballs. It's all about the eyeballs. How can you attract more people to watch uh, your product, even if it's a renewing ESPN deal, switching over to CBS Sports, uh, or whatever viable platform uh, there could be with that. Um, it, 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 and I guess I, I know there has been uh, some bad and some good, but for right now, it's just trying to keep a stability uh, for year one uh, for for the incoming guy. Just to keep a stability point. Very true, and that's the hope, of course. And we'll see what happens down uh, down the road for the future of the United Soccer Leagues. I, like I said, um, you know, Jake Edwards, he did a fantastic job. I was very, very uh, happy to see him turn USL into what it should be. And uh, hopefully Paul McDonough will be the man to continue that or at least make it better than what Edwards did. Uh, no slight on Jake Edwards. Just obviously when there's a new sheriff in town, you want to make sure that he's just as good as the old one is. That's all we're asking for. John, Ray, I thank you both very much for joining me tonight. I know, John, Wednesday night, CBS Sports, Galazzo Network, Pittsburgh Riverhounds, Columbus Crew uh, in the Open Cup fifth round. We'll see what happens. Ray, let's see what goes on with Rio Grande Valley in this USL Championship season. Gentlemen, thank you for your time once again, and hope to have you back on again very soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. 
Uh, thank you for having me uh, as well. I appreciate uh, your platform to talk this uh, situation over. Um, and, and thanks to your audience as well for having a platform like this to talk uh, open league soccer. Absolutely. There's no other place to do it but right here on the Four Scenes Fire American Soccer Show. Thank you again, gentlemen. Once again, John Krasinski from Pittsburgh Soccer Now and from uh, Mr. Ray Silva of Pro Sports RGV. That's uh, Pro Sports in the Rio Grande Valley podcast. Follow him on Twitter at capital letter S-O, capital letter T-X, athletics with the K, with an X, not a C. So thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me tonight as we move now into the final segment of the show. The New York Red Bulls segment is on as they defeat Club Foot Montreal two goals to one. And boy, oh boy, what a win, what a victory for the New York Red Bulls. They score two goals for the second time this season at home, but the first time they've scored two goals in the first half in 2023. Um, great corner delivered from the far side by John Tolkien. Bit of a, bit of a pinball action from the Montreal defenders. Goes right to Andreas Reyes, who smacks it home to make it 1-0. Yes, Montreal were able to level the score at one, but on a goal that was originally called for offside, VAR comes in, and Corey Burke, who was fractions on, just inside the right shoulder of the last defender, when he received the pass from Christian Casares Jr., it was Corey Burke who puts the ball into the back of the net, overturned the offside call from VAR, and it was a 2-1 victory for the New York Red Bulls as they played a solid 45 in the second half. Coming in, you have to say, excuse me, you have to say, Troy Lassen Troy so far has done a great job going three matches unbeaten in the league, four in all competitions, redoing this Red Bull side. And now in the Eastern Conference, they have leapt away from the basement of the East. They are currently in, I believe, either 11th or 12th in the Eastern Conference. Let me just make sure I have that correctly. Even though New York City FC did not play uh, this past weekend. They are currently in 11th place, tied on points with New York City FC with 16. New York City FC has a better points per game right now than the Red Bulls. They have a 1.23, while the Red Bulls have a 1.14. But they have removed themselves out of the basement They are currently in 11th place, tied for 10th, and they are two points behind Charlotte FC and the Columbus crew for the final two spots to make the playoffs in that 8th and ninth position. We'll have to wait and see what's going to happen, but for right now, they are in an advantage right now 
Columbus and Charlotte as they are in a playoff position. The New York Rebels right now on the outside looking in along with New York City FC. So the coaching change has helped the New York Rebels. And yes, they are looking better, more fluid, and stronger. Still needs a little more work to be taken care of. But so far at this point in time, they are doing very well. Getting ready for their U.S. Open Cup fifth rounder at home against FC Cincinnati, who are currently the top dogs in the East with 30 points. And right now in the West, LAFC uh, with 25 points. So currently, uh, FC Cincinnati with a Supporters Shield uh, lead at the moment by five points. But we'll see what happens moving on down the road. We'll have to wait and see what happens there. Um, but anyway, once again, Troy Lassane. Troy Lassane, uh just doing a great job with the New York Red Bulls right now since taking over as interim head coach uh, from Gerhard Struber for uh, matches ago. So great job by him at this point in time. And Dante Von Zier has now officially served all six matches of his suspension. He came back off the bench, and I wrote it in Red Bull News Network, you know, what is next, what's the situation, what needs to happen from this point out. You know, look, Dante Von Zier has learned a valuable lesson. He has learned you cannot do this at all. Period. Regardless of where you are from and regardless of what goes on, whether back in Europe or what should not happen here in North America and the United States. Yes, he said it. No, he didn't name it, but he still said it, and that's still terrible. He got his education of what he did and the word he said. And I understand there is still people, still supporters out there that want him gone from the club because of what he did. But if he took ownership of the situation he put himself into, and if he understands now he can't pull that off again, then by all means, he deserves at least a second chance. He at least deserves a second chance to have that learning moment and to make sure that he will continue on and not and not do that type of shenanigans ever again. Because the truth is, is this. If he ruins that second chance, then that's where the New York Rebels are going to say, that's it, we, 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 you, know, you sought counseling. The team voted you in to bring you back. You did everything right, but then you went and did it again. No, then you're done. But until that happens, at least he deserves that second chance. And at least he deserves to prove to us to the supporters, to the media, to the American soccer community that he has learned his lesson. Because the truth is, we have brought, they have brought him here, the Red Bulls, they've brought Von Zier over here to score goals and rack up wins. 
That's what he has to do. That's what he needs to do. Until he screws it up again, he deserves a second chance. As I've said already, if he screws up that second chance, then you boot him out of here. But let me also say this. We have seen plenty of racism continuing in Europe. Not everywhere in Europe, but we have seen it in Spain. We have seen it in Italy. We have seen racism of all kinds continue on to ravage the continent. And yes, we have seen it in England as well. It is disgusting and it's terrible. Go what's happened to Vinicius Jr. at Real Madrid. Everywhere he has gone, on the road in La Liga, in Valencia, they hurled racist chants at him. I don't know what they said. I don't speak Spanish. Yes, I know there's Google, there's Google Translate. I will not translate what they said because I cannot say the word because I am a good person and I don't have a racist bone in my body. I have friends who are not only white, Christian, and Jewish. I have friends who are black. I have friends and colleagues who are white, black, Asian, Hispanic. I respect them. They respect me. I can have a conversation with them about anything and everything. And they listen to me and I listen to them. Because I respect them, not because of the color of their skin, but because of the people of who they are. Male or female, does not matter. I can have a conversation with anyone. Can anyone have a conversation with me? That is the question. You can dislike anybody. If you feel you're the one that's being disrespected, but we never go towards the deep end when it gets to that level of racism. Never. Never, ever, ever. If you get a chance to go on YouTube, type in Brian Gumbel, HBO, Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. When he talks about racism in soccer. And one of his guests, who he had on twice, was Thierry Henry. Because even Thierry Henry, as great of a footballer as he is, as brilliant of a footballer as he is, went through the same damn thing himself in Europe. Roberto Carlos, Brazilian 
footballer who played for a club in Russia. And it was his own supporters, his own supporters, who threw a bunch of bananas on the pitch right at him when he had the ball dribbling. His own supporters, not visiting supporters, not away supporters, his own supporters. And he cried on the pitch when he saw that. And I'm telling you, I'm glad we don't have that here in the United States or in Canada. You don't have to go any further in Italy than Lazio. Because those supporters are the worst of the worst. Not only do they hate black people, they hate Jews as well. And has the club ever sanctioned their own supporters for the racism that they have displayed? Never. Never. And the same thing going on now in Spain. La Liga will never have the nerve nor the stomach to ban on Valencia supporters to what they did to Vinicius Jr. at Real Madrid when they when Real Madrid came to their stadium for that Liga La Liga match. Do you understand what's going on folks? Do you understand what the situation is? Europe has to crack down everything that is going on here. Not just the racism, not just the anti-Semitism, but everything. Everything. We here in this country, yes, there probably is still a very tiny, teeny tiny pocket of racists in this country. Nine out of ten, the majority of all of us, we know better. Because we have scruples. We have common sense in our back pocket and in our heads. We know what is a disgusting, terrible word or words to inflict verbal harm on others and we know what we should not do because we are no longer like that move forward treat everyone with respect and take this disgusting verbal shame out of the game in Europe. It continues on other places, does continue on in other places. But the hope is all of us on this world can get rid of that disgusting rhetoric, move forward, 
and we can all be as one. Until then, the world is still a scary place to be. Be mindful. Protect yourself at all times, verbally and physically. Be aware of your surroundings. And continue to be the good person that you are, male or female, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Arab. Be a good person, period. I want to thank my guest tonight, John Krasinski from Pittsburgh Soccer Now, Ray Silva of Pro Sports RGV. That's the Rio Grande Valley. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Join me this Friday night for the fifth round review show for the 2023 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. And then next week, another great show. And, of course, the CONCACAF Champions League first leg final and second leg post game. We'll talk more about that next show here on the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care. So long and bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.